This morning we're in Second Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter number two, and we're beginning in verse number one of Second Peter chapter two, talking about biblical facts uh, about false teachers, biblical facts about false teachers, and uh, I, I, I considered calling it uh, characteristics of counterfeits, but uh, but just talking about false teachers this morning. You know, uh, imagine imagine with me if this were to take place this morning. It hadn't happened. To to me, but imagine if this happened along the way. So, so pretend that my wife and I are, are walking down the street, and uh, and we find us a hundred dollar bill laying on the ground. It's already spent. But anyways, uh, if, if we found us a hundred dollar bill laying on the ground, and when we pick that thing up, uh, uh, and 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 we and we started to stick it in our pocket, we got home, and and we we're so excited about finding a hundred dollar bill, and and when we get home, we realize that the print on this thing is kind of funky, and uh, in fact, the ink is starting to wear off on our hands and in our pockets. Uh, uh, we would say, man, that's a counter. I would be so bummed out. Uh, but how far would I go with being bummed out at finding a hundred dollar bill? That's a counterfeit $100 bill. Uh, the question would be, well, would I be so upset with finding that $100 bill that I would go to the bank, withdraw all of my funds, go home, and burn every last bill that I could find because I'm so upset because of this one counterfeit that I found? You know, that's ridiculous. That would be where you'd say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, you know what, though? Here's the problem with it, is, is, is that, that that is being played out time and time and time and time and time again with people who come across counterfeit preachers in the church today. And this morning we're talking about, so what I want to encourage you is just simply this. If you're here this morning and you've been kind of struggling with church because, man, I came across something that's not right in the church, uh, I would just want to encourage you this morning to continue to stick with it. You know, Jesus Christ said that we're going to have false teachers along the way. We're going to have false prophets uh, along the way. We're going to have hypocrites along the way. But I've heard it said like this before, I'd rather spend a few years with a few hypocrites hypocrites than all eternity with all of them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather make sure I'm going to heaven uh, at the end of the day than, than to say, man, fooey on the church, fooey on the gospel, because it's just all crazy, and, uh, and, and throw it all out. Throw out the baby with the bathwater. And so Peter is talking here, and so he's talking, he begins to address uh, really the main theme, the main topic of this whole second letter that he writes, beginning in verse number one, chapter two of Second Peter, and the Bible says it like, this, but false prophets, but, but there's a but there simply because there's a major contrast that's just taken place. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, you will secret, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought 
a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous, uh, the unrighteous under punishment from, uh, for the day of judgment, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. And it goes on from there. Uh, but this morning, again, he, he begins this whole section of scripture uh, with the word but, and he's contrasting. He's saying, okay, we're jumping from, he just talked about in chapter number one, he talked about making sure that we're standing strong, making sure, number one, that you are saved, number one, that you're not hanging your hat on just one time experience but that you have a no-so salvation and so he talks about that and he and he talks about how we can know uh, and how the word of God in fact the the Holy Spirit of God came to holy men of God and came, gave us the holy word of God and make sure that is the standard of truth in your life make sure that you're embracing it as such as the word of God and he says you've been given the word of God but but something's gonna happen along the way and he says there's gonna be false prophets and false teachers. In other words, he begins with two, he, he uses two different words to talk about those that are bringing a false message. He says, first of all, there's going to be false prophets. And so he's basically saying this to the people of God. There always have been, there always have been false teachers along the way. You can look back to the Old Testament and find how there were false teachers who plagued the nation of Israel, false prophets along the way. Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14. The Bible says it like this, and this is just one of many. We can go a lot of places in the Old Testament, but in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says this, for from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. What's Jeremiah saying in this passage. In this passage of scripture, he's saying, man, they're just spreading a bunch of lies, telling you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And so Peter is just simply saying there always have been uh, false prophets, but there are false teachers even today. There are false teachers even today. In fact, if you look at the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles that followed him, one of the 12 was one. One of the 12 was a hypocrite. One of the 12 was a heretic. That's what he was. And so not only does he, do we see it in practice, but even Jesus warned us of false teachers that would come into the body. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verse number 15, Jesus is talking and he says this, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Let me back up for a minute. It's not on your overhead, but let me just read leading into verse number 15. The Bible says in verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and, and, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there's many, there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. So beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so he's just giving that warning. The Apostle Paul warned us in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. The, the, uh, the Apostle Paul was preaching, and he says this in Acts 20, verses 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from uh, among your own selves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. And so he's just simply saying, hey, listen, there's going to be false teachers along the way. There's going to be false teachers. So how do we identify? So basically what Peter does is he gives some characteristics of false teachers. He talks about two different things in this passage of scripture. He says, here's some characteristics of false teachers. Number one, be able to identify them along the way. And so how do you identify a false teacher? Uh, Well, here's some characteristics that he gives us, but then he goes on from there and talks about the consequences. But the characteristics of false teachers. Beginning in verse number one, he says, first of all, when you're talking about a false teacher, they carry, they preach a false message. They preach a false or a defective message. The Bible says, but false prophets also uh, arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And so basically, Basically, he's just simply saying, hey, listen, along the way, there's going to be some contradicting messages. How do you know what's contradicting? Well, know the truth. He's already talked about that. Know the truth. If you know the truth, make sure you're standing on the truth. Make sure you know the word of God. Thus says the word of God. Make sure you know the word of God. But then along the way, you're going to have some destructive heresies that come in there. And we can say, well, man, there's a lot of different destructive heresies out there. There's a lot of different teachers out there. There's a lot of different religions that we would say are cultic religions. They're heretical religions because they're, they're, they're preaching a different message than what the word of God says. And you can go down the list. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny, deny the deity of Jesus Christ to begin with. And, and we'll leave the rest of it. If If you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, then let's throw it out the window, all right? If anybody ever denies the deity of Jesus Christ, then you just got to throw them out the window. And and, and so you have the Mormons in the same boat. Uh, You have uh, uh, Catholicism who deifies Mary uh, as co-redeemer. And then there's a whole list of other things that we have problems with, for example, that you can pay indulgences uh, uh, so that you can escape purgatory, uh, to which I would say there's no such thing as purgatory, number one. And number two, if Jesus' blood wasn't sufficient, then we're just all up the creek. I mean, really. But he's talking here, and he says, hey, there's some that are going to come from among you secretly. In other words, it's not going to be so obvious along the way. And so we have to be Careful, there's a subtle assault that's happening and destructive heresies that are being taught. And you know what destructive heresies are? Heresy is simply this. <clears throat> it's, it's what I choose to believe. That's what heresy is. I choose to believe. In other words, in other words, I know thus says the Lord, but I choose to believe. That's what, that's what heretical teaching is. It contradicts God's word. And so if ever you're hearing somebody and all they ever talk about is, well, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. Smiling Joel does it all the time. You know, well, you know, this is just what I believe. And it's like, well, yeah, but what does the word of God say? The exclusivity of the gospel. What about the exclusivity of the gospel? That there's only one way to be saved and it's through Jesus Christ. 
God, help us understand, again, that there are subtle attacks that happen, and we ought not be caught off guard. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And what you have to be careful of is just because, just because somebody stands in a pulpit and opens the word of God doesn't make them a good preacher. I mean, when you think about it, a, a, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? I mean, that, and, and that's, what, that's what makes it so difficult is because what happens is, is you hear some truth scattered in there, but all of a sudden there's a subtle lie. There's a subtle assault that happens on God's word. And the Bible says very clearly in God's word, John chapter 14 and verse number six, Jesus Christ himself was talking and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to be saved and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you've chosen another way to be saved, then you're not. God help us understand again what we're dealing with this morning. It's interesting when you look at how he writes this. <clears throat> you know, in fact, when you're talking about, it's really, it's really, it's, it's I, I'm troubled, I'm, I'm greatly troubled when you're reading through this passage of scripture this morning because when you think about some of the false teaching that's happening, it's all over the place. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to stuff on television, and it's all over the place. And, and, and you have to be careful you do have to be careful. It's impossible. Do you know it's impossible? It's impossible to live your best days apart from repenting of my sin. I'll never be able to experience my best days apart from repentance. So how in the world can I tell you how to live your best days if I'm not calling you to repentance? It's impossibility. I believe we can live incredible days, but it's through repentance before God Almighty, that's where it begins, that's the very first step of my best days, of my abundant life. But it's interesting when you're reading here in verse number one, because it says this in this passage of scripture, it says they're gonna secretly introduce destructive heresies, and so you gotta know what you're talking about. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Interesting phrase there, denying the master who bought them. How do you deny the master who bought you? He's talking about the whole Bible. Do you know that the whole Bible has one theme, and the one theme of the Bible is the redemption of mankind. That's the theme from cover to cover. If you're looking for a theme from God's word, the theme of God's word is to redeem mankind, that Jesus Christ came and he laid down his life for you. The Bible's very clear when you're talking about, so what does this mean? That they denied the master who purchased them. What does this mean? To what sense are they talking in this verse of scripture? To which I would say, John 3, 16 says it like this, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In fact, over in 1 John chapter 2, Two, and in verse number two, in 1 John chapter two, verses number one and two, the Bible says it like this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Watch verse number two. 
And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so to what sense is he talking about? He's talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ. He's talking about these false preachers who what they have done is committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit of God. That, that when you're talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ, there are some that believe that Jesus only atoned for those of the elect, to which I would say, well, no, his atonement is sufficient for the sins of all, efficient to those who receive the gift of God. And so I believe that when he's talking here, and what he's talking about here, is he's saying, hey, listen, uh, 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 these guys here, uh, they're denying the master who purchased them. In fact, they're rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it in this way. How in the world, how in the world if I don't, here's, here's what I love. I love being a gospel preacher. I love being a Christian. You want to know why? Because I'm preaching a message of hope, hope to the world. I don't have to go to somebody. I can go to anybody and everybody that I walk up to with full confidence and say, can I tell you something? No matter who I'm talking to, I can go to anybody in this world and say, can I tell you something? God loves you. Jesus came and laid down his life for you because he desires an intimate relationship with you. And I can talk to anybody and say that. Because I believe that Jesus shed his blood according to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, for all. Am I preaching universalism? Absolutely not. I don't believe everybody's going to heaven. I believe there are some who blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God. I know that's a big topic. Good luck, teachers, on your conversations. <laughs> He goes on into verse two, talking about the characteristics of teachers, and he says they're gonna have a, have a message that deviates from the truth. Be careful in what you're hearing along the way. But then in verse number two, he says <clears throat> the manner with which they live their lives and what they talk about. Many, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And so when you're talking about, he's saying, man, there's gonna be a great crowd of people following them. That's what he said already in Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. He says, hey, uh, the, the, the road, the road. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road uh, way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. And so when you're talking again about the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's gonna be a lot of people. And so when you, when you ask the question, because the question must be asked, if they're teaching a false message, why in the world are so many people flocking to the false messages? Why are so many people flocking to false messages? And, and the answer is an easy answer, because it's comfortable. Because it's comfortable. If I can live life in my sinful way, any way I choose to live life and not be called to repent of my sins, I'm very comfortable. In fact, I, I have a false sense of security because I'm religious enough to go to church, but I'm not repentant of my sinful state. Jude says it like this in Jude 4. The Bible says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. <clears throat> Those who were long beforehand marked out uh, for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So what's he saying? He's saying there's gonna be preachers and teachers that come in, basically, and say, we are saved by God's grace. 
So there's truth to that. The problem is, so live it up. You want to experience God's grace? Enjoy life. Do what you want to do. Your sins are covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. To which I would say there's some truth to that. But if you look at the whole counsel of the word of God, Romans addresses that very issue. Romans says in Romans 6, verse number one and following, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to live in sin so that grace may abound? This is following where the apostle Paul's writing and saying, hey, listen, his grace is greater than all of my sin. His grace is greater than all of my sin. So, so some would say, well, then why not just live it up to experience his grace to the fullest extent? And the apostle Paul addresses that. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to live in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. How ridiculous. How in the world can we, who've been born again, continue to live that way? He changed us. He changed us. And so he's writing here in verse number two, and he says, many are gonna follow their sensuality, uh, uh, their licentiousness, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of the truth will be maligned. He's he's simply saying this. You know what? The world's gonna look at that and say, man, there's a bunch of hogwash. There's a bunch of foolishness happening out there. It's conflicting. The message and the manner with which they live, it's all messed up. In fact, it says in Romans chapter number two and verse number 24, Romans chapter two and verse number 24, for the name of, of, of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written, because of you. What, what's he talking about? Because of people, because of professing believers that are living a wicked lifestyle. I mean, I mean we do more damage, we do more damage to the cause of Christ than anybody on the outside. God help us understand that we must live the life that he's called us to live. You know, when you're looking at the church today, so many times, so many times we look at churches today and we evaluate them based on the numbers. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we look at, we look at the numbers and we say, wow, that's a big church, man. It must be happening. That's a happening church right there. When the fact of the matter is, don't ever, don't ever judge a book by its cover. <laughs> don't ever judge a church by the number of people attending. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter number three, you read through there, Revelation chapter three, there's a church called Sardis. And this church of Sardis had a reputation that they were alive. They had a reputation that, man, it is happening place. Uh, but Jesus Christ said, uh-uh, they're dead. In fact, there is not, there's not but a few who haven't soiled their garments. So be careful. Be careful. How do you know a church? Measure it by God's word. There's a deceptive manner that's being lived out, that's being preached out, but then there's devouring motives in verse number three, devouring motives, and their greed, talking about false teachers, and their greed. They will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And so he says, man, they're, they're, they're greedy along the way. They're greedy is what they are. Listen, listen to what they're saying and, 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 because what they're doing is they're preaching false words. Do you know it's interesting because the wording used for false words, the wording used for false means plastic. They're preaching a plastic message. What do you mean by plastic? Well, it looks really good. It looks really enticing, but there's no value to them. 
What do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. Man, who, who wouldn't want to be a millionaire? Who wouldn't want to have all kinds of finances coming into your life? And you have people that'll say, man, just go and plant a seed of faith. Plant a seed of faith. That's all you got to do. You know what's interesting about those guys that'll preach that message? It's always at their church. <laughs> plant a seed. Just send it to us. God will bless you. You know what that is? That's just flat out greed. And it's a plastic message. You know what's interesting about this prosperity gospel message that's being preached today? Seriously. You, you, you know, you know it, it, number one, it's plastic. It's plastic. It's not biblical. It's made up. It's counterfeit. But there's so many people jumping on that bandwagon of just, just send the money and God's going to send a blessing your way. And God help us to understand that's just not biblical. You know what's interesting about that is when you look at Jesus Christ himself, our calling is to be like Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ didn't have a place to lay his own head. I mean, you look at the lives of the apostles of Jesus Christ. They went through difficulties. They went through struggles along the way. There's nothing biblical about that kind of message being taught. But what's the problem with it? It's taught by people that are full of greed. You know what they're doing? And, and, and this just doesn't, it's not just limited to preachers and teachers, by the way. I would, I would even go far out there as, as saying musicians. You know, you know what's happening? We're, we're, we're prostituting the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever it takes so that I can make money. That's what it is. I don't really care about the message and I don't really care about you. In fact, if you look at the pastors and teachers that are talking about the false prophets and the false teachers, they're not coming to serve, but rather to be served. That's all it is. And that's what Peter's saying. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening in the church. The Bible says back in the Old Testament in the book of Micah, Micah chapter number three and in verse number 11, this isn't new. Micah chapter three and verse number 11, her leaders pronounce judgment for, for a bribe. Her priests instruct for a price. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, is not the Lord in our midst calamity will come upon us. What's he saying? He's saying, man, people always have and always will be counterfeiting the name of Jesus Christ. I've told you before, I had an opportunity to speak to a pastor who made a statement one time, said, God's everywhere, you just gotta go where the money's at. Said, you're not a preacher, you're just a prostitute. Quit. Y'all all right? The Bible goes on and it says there's, there's consequences to these things. It says there's, there's consequences to these things. Why? Because see, we look around, we look around and we say, man, I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it's, as if, it's as if God's just overlooking. And Peter wants to make sure God's not overlooking. God's not, God is a patient God. And aren't we all, Aren't we all thankful for the patience of God? Aren't we all thankful for the mercy of God? But it says there's consequences and he uses three illustrations from the Old Testament to talk about these consequences that are awaiting these false prophets and false teachers. 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And he goes on from there. So the first one being fallen angels. Fallen angels, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the, the, the one-third of angels that fell with Lucifer? No, I, w- I would say that no, I, I believe that he's talking more about the angels that we read about in Genesis chapter six who came into people, demon-possessed people. And, 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 and by the way, it's not so that we can go and have discussion and debate about what exactly happened with these demons who fell. No, he's just simply saying, hey, listen, God's punishment is sure and it's swift. And, it's, and, it, and, and, and in fact, he will hold accountable those who contradict what he has said. I believe it's from, from uh, Genesis 6. Why do I say that? Because Jude 6 and 7 says it like this. And angels who did not, not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds unto darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. And so basically he's just saying, hey, listen, fallen angels, fallen angels, there's judgment that's coming their way, has come their way. You can look at it. God didn't forget about them. He didn't overlook them. In fact, he goes on in verse number five to say it's not just the fallen angels, but what about the flood? Do you remember the flood that took place? He says in verse five, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. In other words, he's simply saying this, God is just, He's gracious and he's merciful, but he's also just. Don't think you're gonna get away with it forever because you're not. He's not gonna overlook it. When you abandon scripture, when you abandon his ways, he's not gonna overlook it. In fact, I had an Old Testament uh, professor who used to always talk about rain and he said, every time it rains, every time it rains, let it remind you of two things. Number one, the provision of God because God is good. But then he said, number two, he said, don't ever forget, God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. But aren't you thankful for the rainbow? (laughs) God said, I'm never gonna flood this whole world again like I did back in the book of Genesis. But what Peter's simply saying is God takes sin seriously, but he also knows how to preserve the righteous And then he goes on to talk about the fire of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, let me me stop at verse six because I want to pick up verse seven in just a minute. But basically he's just simply saying, hey, listen, God will judge the wickedness on this planet. God will judge wickedness on this planet. Wicked people will fall under the judgment of God. Be careful, be careful that you never take God's punishment, or not punishment, but his patience as approval. Careful that just because God is merciful doesn't mean, doesn't mean all is well if my life is contradicting his word. I mean, we look around and we say, man, all all is well, all is well, when the fact of the matter is maybe all is not well, but God's just been very patient and merciful to me. 
The Bible says in Psalm 121, verses three and four, Psalm 121, verses three and four, it says it like this. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. What do you mean? Don't ever think that God's fallen asleep because he doesn't. He doesn't. What he's saying is, man, it, it, it is serious business to mess with God's word and God's ways. It is serious business, and he takes seriously his word and his ways. Why? Because eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. When you look at scripture, he gives warnings in several different places, but in Galatians, strongest warning that we have in the entire New Testament, Galatians chapter number one, verse number eight, the Bible says it like this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. He is to be accursed. Strongest word used in the entire New Testament, damned to hell. Why? Because he's presenting a message that's false. He says in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, and if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Peter is simply saying, God is righteous and his judgment will be swift and certain. But he says it's interesting because he, he, he goes on to talk in verses seven, eight, and nine. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And he goes on from there. It's interesting when you look at this because he, he refers three different times, Lot. When you're talking about Lot, Lot was the one who said, man, I, I want to live over there close to Sodom. I want to be over there close to that stuff. When you look at Lot three times, he says, righteous Lot, righteous Lot, righteous Lot. Can I tell you something? Lot wasn't righteous because of his deeds. He was righteous the same reason why you and I would be considered righteous today if you have been saved. Because Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to those who believe and call on his name. Therefore, I have received my righteousness. I never attained it. I didn't gain it. I didn't earn it. But rather, it was a gift bestowed to me because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He took my place on the cross. It's, it, it all has to do with what we would call the substitutionary atonement, that Jesus Christ was my substitute on the cross. He took my place, he took my sin and paid the price so that I might be made righteous before God Almighty. And today I'm righteous not because of my deeds, not because I'm a preacher, not because I try to be a good husband and a good fella, because I fall short in every single area but I'm righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to me.
and I won't have to suffer one ounce of judgment. Aren't you thankful to God for that? The truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is this. For God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you call, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, if you are here today and you've never called on the name of Jesus, I want to invite you to call on his name. He paid the price for you. He paid the price for me. He atoned for our sin. Receive the gift by faith. Receive him today. You can't earn it, you receive it. Would you do me a favor this morning, join me for prayer? As we pray, I'm inviting our deacons to come forward. We're gonna have a time of Lord's Supper today. As they're coming, I just want to be in a spirit of prayer this morning, and as we're praying today, I'm just asking the question, have you ever been born again? If you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wanna invite you to call on his name. Even where you are today, you just tell him, God, I know that I've sinned against you, and I'm a sinner. But I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. Would you please forgive me of my sin, come into my life, and be my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you. You cry out to him today. By faith, cry out to him.